Amen. As we pray and we ask God to do a work, you see now that we come to the reading of God's word, not the preaching. The reading is what comes next in our worship. If you would, open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. And while you're opening up, I'll introduce the word. But recall, we have not read it yet. Remember that I pray before this word and that God works in his word, that the word does not return void. And so I encourage you, open up the word. I don't care if you've got it on your phone or if you've got it printed out. Get it in front of you. God will do a work. It does not return void. By the way, if you need a Bible, I've been saying this, even those that are here, take the Bible. <laughs> Our church will get another one. Please take the Bible if you need it. We'll send it to you. You just let me know. While you're opening up to 1 Kings 19, though, don't be afraid to use the table of contents if you need it. I'm in the business of straw grabbing. I grab at straws. Isn't that a saying? Uh, but it's not the saying you think. It's not the saying you think. I don't grasp at straws. I grab at straws. And I grab the straws that break the camel's back. It's the ministry that I do and that I find myself in, myself in most often. Have you ever thought about that poor camel? One more straw. You, you've seen a piece of straw? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's, it really is like the plastic straws we use to sip on a soft drink or something. You know, it's like that weight and feel, right? Uh, one more straw on that poor camel's back is what causes his knees to buckle. What about all the time before the straw? Have you ever thought about that poor camel pre-straw? I'm in the ministry of grabbing straws. You know, I don't get to talk to y'all usually when things are going well. I get to talk to you when things are going poorly. When the straw has hit and your knees have buckled and I come in, I pray with a word of balm, a word of God. And I try so desperately to take more load off, but usually all I can do is lift a straw. And you get back up and you keep walking. You might think you're okay. I know plenty of camels who think they're fine until that last straw hits. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced it in your life. Uh, it's quite obvious and apparent. Maybe you're not. Maybe you know. One more straw, I'm going down, right? Maybe you know. The word today is for us, God's people and the people of the world. The main point, life is crushing apart from God. Life is crushing apart from God. And I'm not talking about unbelievers. So listen well. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, open up this word to us. Let it be effective with an A to our very being. In Jesus' name, amen. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start with verse 1 read through verse 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this 
time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade. This word before us stands forever. It's here and will last longer than we will, perhaps, on this earth. Life is crushing apart from God. Let's see it in three points. Consequence, response, and God's comfort. To begin, first, there is consequence to our actions. Verses 1 and 2. Remember... Where we are in the events of the northern kingdom of Israel is one of tumult, turmoil, and disbelief. The monarchy, Ahab the king, has walked away from God. Jezebel, his wife, who we see prominently placed here in the first couple of verses, is actively encouraging this and the nation of Israel to follow suit, to walk away from God. This led to a strong response from God. The long-term drought, which just recently ended and culminated at the showdown between the false prophets and Elijah, where, if you uh, recall, and we see it referenced here, Elijah meted out the justice of God in the killing of those enemies while preserving the lives of the people of Israel. After this, the rain came by the hand of God through the prayers of Elijah and Everybody is running down the mountain trying to get away and down before the flood comes, right? Because it's hadn't rained in years and years. And when a heavy rain comes and it's a drought, right, you know what happens. We know all too well, right, Columbia? It floods. And the flood can be destructive. So we've got Elijah miraculously running. We've got Ahab going down in his Cadillac of chariots. We've got everybody going, right? The people are getting down the mountain. It's where we find ourselves, verses 1 and 2 now in the story. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed those prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel gives that swear, I'm going to get you, and I'm going to get you right now. She is furious at what Elijah had done and what God had done. And she realizes that she's losing this battle. And what does she try to do? Take out the general, right? I'm going to get you, Elijah. I've got the whole nation of Israel, and I'm coming for you. Actions have consequences. Our negative actions, our sins, have consequences. The creation of a gap between God 
as well as the people around us. But I hope you notice here, our positive actions also have consequences as well. What Elijah did was right. He obeyed God and did the right thing. And Jezebel, she wants to kill him for it. Doing the right thing never implies support. We must get out of this lie that we have tricked ourselves into somehow that doing the right thing implies support. It has never been true and it will never be true while we remain in a fallen world where sin is present. You might have it, support that is, or you just might not. It depends on the day, sometimes the minute. It depends on the people, sometimes the person, right? Uh, it's crazy. You could walk into one room and have support, exit out of it, and immediately not have it. It is shocking to the system if you're just not prepared with that reality. Doing the right thing does not imply support. Life in that moment can be crushing apart from God because life is full of consequences for the wrongs and the rights that we do. When we remove God from the equation and we look only to the consequences, and I might maybe give you an example of America. Just look at the politics and the people of our country, most generally, Christian and non-Christian alike. When we remove God from the equation and we look only to consequences, we will most certainly settle for the path of least resistance. 100% absolute will settle for that path of least resistance. The path of least pain. The inevitable path of unrighteousness, of selfishness, of self-preservation. The very things Jesus would tell us would lose our soul. Let's continue though, because this leads into our second point, our response. If actions have consequences, we will have a response. And we see Elijah's in verses 3 through 5. Life is crushing apart from God, and I'm not talking about those that don't believe in God. Though, this is for you too, if you find yourself in this room, or if you find yourself viewing from afar. Elijah is a prophet of God in deep relationship with God himself. He is, if you wanted to say it like this, the exemplar Christian of the narrative. And Elijah responds to the consequences of his actions with fear and flight and forgetfulness and fatigue or futility. First, verse 3, you see that fear, right? It's plain and simple. Fear ruled him. Then he was afraid. What other emotions were you feeling, Elijah? I don't know. I was afraid. I'm sure you felt this fear before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it is operating in a subconscious manner. But it's there. The fear that Jesus tells us to conquer. That the whole word would tell us about. What do angels and Jesus and God himself and all of the disciples say? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Fear ruled Elijah. And so he fled. Number two, he fled. He arose and ran for his life. 
His thought when fear overtook him was self-preservation. He fled. And as he, flee, as he fled the situation, we see that third thing. As soon as he took his eyes off God and put them on himself, he forgot what he was to be about. And he crossed over from Israel to Judah. Uh, you might not have cared about that before, but you will after this. He pulled a Jonah. Maybe you're familiar with Jonah a little bit more than Elijah. You know what Jonah did? Uh, God said, hey, um, uh, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, okay, cool, God. And he went the exact opposite direction, right? In fear, what did Jonah do? He fled. And in that moment, what happened? He forgot the mission that God had called him to. Or at least he tried. And actually, we see a similar response. What did Jonah do? He slept. What does Elijah do? He sleeps in the wilderness. He forgot, right, this mission that God called him to. And Elijah does the same thing here. Because Judah, the, northern, uh, the southern country, is not the country that God called Elijah uh, to proclaim the word in. It was Israel. At this time, there is an Israel in the north and a Judah in the south. Judah, though sinful, is a people following after God, generally. Israel in the north, though God's people, is a people not following after God, generally. There are the people of God in both. And we see that. But Elijah, in this moment, forgot his mission. Same thing happens to us as we are taken over in fear and we flee. We immediately seek to forget what we have been called to do, generally, in life. And when we do those things, with fear ruling, flight happening, as we forget our mission in that moment, the perception of ourselves the perception of our lives, it becomes drenched in fatigue, in futility. What am I doing? What is it all for? Who cares? Let's just do whatever. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. Just do it. Verses 4 and 5. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Not even Elijah could do it. He's a prophet of God. The prophet at the time. And he couldn't do it. Just kill me, Lord. It's over. It's over. I just can't change these people. I can't change myself. In fear, I fled. Just kill me. Apart from God, this life is crushing. And remember, I'm talking to you, Christians. But God shows Elijah a better way. I hope that you saw it. God shows Elijah hope instead of fear, a firm foundation instead of flight into quicksand, remembrance instead of forgetfulness, and meaning instead of futility. And it's our third point. It's God's comfort of his people. Verses 6 through 8. God didn't send an angel to Elijah when he was strong. God sent an angel to Elijah when he was weak and realized that he couldn't do it on his own. At the point of total self-condemnation 
a call to be killed. And it's not, it's not a silly, willy-nilly call. This is for real. It's not a joke. God extends not the hand of judgment, okay, but the hand of mercy. Life is crushing apart from God. But our lives don't have to be apart from God. And God reveals this to Elijah with an angel and some bread and some water. Now, as I mentioned before, it probably wasn't a big giant birthday cake, right? Probably looked more like maybe what we might think of as like cornbread or something. But uh, this cornbread, it definitely was miraculous. Definitely had a bit of magical quality because... And I'll say this quite seriously, Rebecca makes a pretty mean homemade skillet buttermilk cornbread. And I could eat the whole thing in one sitting. And even then, it wouldn't stick to my belly for 40 days, right? It just wouldn't. So there is this miraculous blessing, and that's the point. That's the point. God's bread does this. The angel's words are words that we must heed. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. It's just too great, Elijah. You know, you flee, and you're sleeping a sleep of sorrow, and you're saying you can't do it. You didn't already know that? Do I need to remind you yet again? And the answer is yes. <laughs> he does. Can you hear the uns unspoken words? The journey is too great for you, but not for your God. It's there. <laughs> the unspoken power. And now here's the question. In whose strength are you living? In whose strength are you living? Is it your own? How's that going for you? And before you answer, let it be an inner dialogue, okay? Don't answer it on Facebook. Don't answer it to your family. Answer it to yourself. Strip away the lies that you give your friends and your family. The fake posts that you put on Facebook. The emotion dollars of food and drugs and drink and entertainment. The hypocrisy of righteousness that I see from us all. Pretend success and the facade, this is our favorite, of busyness. Don't let that get in the way of the question I just asked you. Just answer it to yourself. And in that moment, in full honesty, will you finally admit to yourself that the journey, it's just too great for you. Why don't you take a breath? And why don't you do it today? And when you admit what you already know, will you commit yourself Maybe, even for those who are members of this church. Will you commit yourself maybe for the first time? Or maybe for the 100th time?
But will you commit and commend yourself to God's care? Because yes, life is crushing apart from God. But in God, there is comfort and care beyond our wildest imaginations. Anything that we could conceptualize or articulate. And if you're wondering what that care is, if you're wondering what we can at least try to explain, let me tell you about the Jesus who called blue-collar men who were fishing for a living, who were hoping to have enough money from some selling of fish, or maybe just enough fish to feed their family. The Jesus who saw the rich men with compassion, knowing what they knew, that money was not enough. The Jesus who stopped and talked and helped and revealed God with words to the dirty homeless man who just can't figure out why these people are dehumanizing him. The Jesus who saw women not as less than men to be used, but honorable and made in the image of God, meaning that they had the same need of humility and belief as their counterparts, the men. That man does not give woman identity, but neither does woman. Only God truly identifies us. God's care is not defined by the things we want. Because you want money, she wants health, and that guy over there wants out. We all have different wants. We all have different things that we think we need. God's care is defined by God himself revealing eternal salvation. It's the great equalizer for all of humanity that all of God's people must rest on God himself that they might come into heaven living and breathing and in fellowship with him. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God sent his son and he sent his son to die for his people. God came knowing we can't do it alone. And so why in the world are the people of God acting like we can do it alone? It is incredible. And what does the world think when we lie to them? But that they might have success doing it on their own. That is not the call, dear Christians. That is not the call Centennial. That's not the call ARP. That's not the call that God's people have been called to. Rather, we have been called to say, the journey is too great for me. It's just too great. I can't do it. And in that moment, when it is done, God can say, I did it. It's the literal gospel. I cannot do it. Oh, do not worry. I have done it for you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray for you, for your blessing on us. 
pray that you'd just change us. Not Centennial, not just the, the people that are listening, that you would change us, humanity, that we would see you and who you are, and that we would be a people who praise and worship your name and who tell others about you. Lord, why don't we tell others about you if what it is that we believe is true? Let us not be fools. Let us be wise and let us see the blessings from you. God, thank you. Thank you. We know this life is crushing. But Lord, you don't just take off, take off a straw like some weak servant. You take off the load. Jesus tells us to come to him all who are weak and heavy laden. And he's going to give us rest. And so God, I pray that we rest in Jesus and that we praise you for all our days. In Jesus' name. Amen.